We are in our series on the life of Abraham, and we're looking at uh, this chapter 24 of Genesis, a very important chapter. It's a chapter that really shows that the, the sovereign God who is in control of all the affairs of, of everything, right, in every corner of the universe is, is sustained by him and in many ways, uh, but yet he has uh, his plan, as we were talking about this song just previously, his purpose and his plan for each and every one of us. And he moves people sometimes, and he directs them, and yet in accordance to their will as well. Sometimes, you know, there are people that, we, like all of us, we have a will. We can say yes, we can say no. Uh, and yet God, you know, he, he's behind in that, in that sense that he's, he's prodding us, he's illuminating our path, he's showing us his way, he's making things clear. And all of us don't know the future. I mean, none of us, I should say, know the future exactly. Uh, we certainly know that the big things and the, what the Bible lays out for us and those things. But in many ways, we have uh, God's light given to us through the word of God. And so when you come to Genesis chapter 24, you have that. And I, I was thinking of that this week because uh, actually today is my daughter's birthday, our oldest child. And she's, uh, uh, well, I don't know if I should say women's birthdays now that she's not a little girl, but she's 27. So if you see or hear Laura, she's not going to be. She's on the other side of the border today. Uh, it's her birthday, and I know someone else here shares a birthday on this day. Uh, but I was thinking back on 27 years, and last night my wife says, "What were you doing 27 years ago?" Right, and I can tell you, we were just coming back from a week of camp at River of Life Bible Camp, um, and I remember that week because it was really hot, and my wife was very ready to deliver a child and she was you know just that was it you know it was like this is coming right we still had a couple well three weeks left I think because Laura came early uh, more than that right yeah almost six weeks and she all of a sudden decided to come that night all right and she ended up being born there on July 10th and honestly I don't know where 27 years has gone right I remember those times holding my child in my arms for the very first time and saying, wow, and she was just so little. She was a preemie, and uh, I thought, if I just breathe on her, I'm going to break her, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I've watched that little girl grow up, now having two children of her own, and that family grow, uh, and it's been a joy. But it's just been really fast, you know. And I think of that because that's life, right? Often we're looking back, and life is sort of but a vapor, and it's sort of we think of those little shadows of things, right? The shadow lands, as they're often termed. And that's how life is, full of memories and, and a lot of faded places in between. Sometimes if you ask me certain details, I'll forget you know, what I did yesterday. But there are things I remember, key points in life, those kind of things. The Bible was written such that it took the everyday things of life and God directing certain things, and in particular what was included here in the book of Genesis, and he showed forth a greater to come, a shadow of things to come. That's what the book of Hebrews says. And that's actually what Jesus said of himself, that in this book, the Bible that we have before us, in this very book, it is written of him. And so when you come to the Bible, I hope that you're always looking for Jesus. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, on every page. And we find that, and that's kind of what we've been doing in our study as we've looked at the life of uh, Abraham, and we found out that Abraham was really a type and a picture of a greater to come. And out of Abraham, 
A man who didn't have the promised son until he was 100 years old, his wife being 90, and out of that son, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And last week we came to Genesis 24, and we looked at a bride for Isaac. Another big key moment in the life of Abraham, his son was going to have a bride. And God had that all ordained and worked out, so the very uh, things that needed to happen would happen. And we come to Genesis 24. Last week, we looked at the Father's will, um, and we looked at exactly what the, uh, as far as Abraham's will was. And you have the will of the Father. That's sort of the outline here of Genesis 24 in the first nine verses. And then today, we're going to look at the witness of the servant, because... There was a servant, he's nameless, we don't know for sure who he is. Maybe an Eliezer, but we don't know that for sure. We know it was a servant, and that servant did the bidding of his master. And he went far away to Abraham's home country originally, and there would find a bride for Abraham's son, Isaac. And we're going to talk about that. Next week, or in the future messages here, Lord willing, we'll also look at the willingness of the bride. Because that was key. And then uh, the welcome of the bridegroom. And that's really the basic outline of Genesis chapter 24. And we're going to look at that a little bit. Now I mentioned earlier that the Bible itself uh, declares and Jesus himself declared that the Old Testament was really about him and pointed people to him. In Luke chapter 24 on that story on the road to Emmaus where there are two disciples and there this is the resurrection sun excuse me yeah the resurrection sunday and you have two disciples and they're headed back to a little town called Emmaus about 7 miles away from Jerusalem and Jesus comes up next to them and this is the resurrected Jesus and he the bible says their eyes were held that they should not know him and i'm reminded this that there are people in this world their eyes do not see by faith and their heart does not see by faith. And they do not recognize Jesus nor his importance. And it was through the word of God and the expounding of the word of God that Jesus taught to them that their eyes would be opened. And in Luke twenty four twenty seven, it says this. This is what Jesus did. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And in verse 44... It says this, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Imagine that Bible study that day on the road to Emmaus as these uh, down, the discouraged disciples is what I call them. And they're they're moving on, uh, headed back to uh, their home village. And here comes this stranger to them. And begins to expound scripture to them about himself. And all of a sudden, as they go through that day, and it's that later as they constrain the stranger to stay, and as they break bread together, their eyes were opened, and they knew who he was at that point. And I often think about that because Jesus could have done a lot of things on that day in, uh, on the road to Emmaus to prove that he indeed was the resurrected Christ. He could have turned rocks into 
loaves of bread, right? Or he could have done something even greater than that as they're walking by those graveyards. He could have had the dead raised right up out of those graveyards. He could have healed someone that was disabled in some way and performed a great miracle. He could have done all those various things to prove who he was as he had in times past, but he doesn't. Instead, he chooses to go to the word of God particularly the books of Moses, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the Psalms and the other prophets as well. And he expounds to them the word of God. And my friends, we have that same tool in our toolbox. We can get into the word of God and we can share it with people. And so really that's the intention this morning is that we'll share the word of God. Jesus said, Uh, to the Pharisees, actually, in the context of this, in John 5, he says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And then he says this, and these are they which testify of me. He pointed, that was the religious crowd, he pointed them right back also to the scriptures, because the scriptures testify of Jesus Christ as Messiah. And he also said this to them, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me so therefore that's why we come and we study like the book of genesis and we we've been digging into that because it presents a shadow of a greater to come the lord jesus himself and so that's where we pick it up we're not going to read all the section today um verses 10 down to verse 49 of genesis 24 but i'm going to pick certain key verses out of that for sake of time and we're going to start though for the first six verses here of our, our lesson today says, then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, uh, and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose, and he went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. And then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day, And show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, Drink, and I will also give your camels to drink, or a drink, let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know. That you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. Let's pray. Lord, again we come to you, the author of the book. Thank you for this, Lord, and this account of a divine appointment that took place so many years ago. And yet, Lord, has direct purpose for us today. Thank you for that. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who would come out of that family of Isaac and Rebekah and Abraham. And Lord, thank you for your mercy that you've extended to us even today. And Lord, I pray that Christ may be lifted up out of these pages, out of this text, and Lord, you may draw yourself, or to the, people may be drawn to you. And Lord, I just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We have here, the, like I said, the will of the Father. 
and then the witness of the servant. And that's what this section is about. It's about the servant, uh, although it's not, that's really not what it is, but it's the story of the servant or the servant's story. But it's interesting, it's not the witness of himself. Um, really, that's the story of, of mankind, isn't it? That we like to go out and brag about our deeds and our doings and who we are and our importance and those kind of things. And nowhere in this section do you find someone that is bragging about himself. After all, he was the chief servant. We know that from the previous section. We also know this, that he had control over every possession of his master. So he indeed was the man in charge of everything that Abraham had. And here he goes out on a mission sent by Abraham to go out and find a bride for Isaac. And yet he doesn't show up saying, look at me, I'm somebody important. He comes and he really is on that mission to seek a bride. And over and over again, I think some 19 times in this narrative, he refers to himself as a servant and my master. And so the man had certainly a proper perspective of who he was. And he pictures for one us uh, someone who witnesses of a greater. And that's what we're looking at here in this text. Well, we find some things about this. And the first thing, as I mentioned, the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed. For all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Now, depending on which route he took the journey could have been up to 1,500 miles. It was most likely anywhere between 900 and 1,500 miles that he would have had to journey on that journey. So we kind of get this idea that he just got 10 camels and that was it. Let's head out. Let's go. And then all of a sudden the next day they're there. It would have required uh, certainly many weeks and months perhaps to get from one place to another. And all that time... Uh, traveling with these camels and with lots of gifts and goods that would have been there and also the provisions that would have been required to uh, make a journey like that. It would have been quite a task and it wasn't something that just happened like that. It was something that required planning. It was something that required diligence and someone to see, uh, see it through. And you remember from last time when we talked about this message uh, two weeks ago, the the, the servant was off the hook if he went and he found a, a, a woman for Isaac, a bride. And if she said no, then he, was, he had fulfilled his obligation regardless whether she said yes or no. And so his, but yet you see him intentionally wanting to go and making sure that God would bless his master, Abraham. And we see that. We'll talk about this a little later. Really, this servant pictures for us uh, the Holy Spirit, and he's a, he's a type of the Holy Spirit. He's not the Holy Spirit, but he's a type, in that the Holy Spirit himself bears witness of the Son and bears witness of the Father, and that's his primary ministry as God the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come to bring light to himself necessarily, but he brings light to Christ and to the Father and therefore to God uh, as well the holy spirit as far as the, the, the trinity goes but you find that and we'll talk a little bit more about this in later on in the message um, this servant nameless as he is comes with he's on mission and he's headed that way and he's going to do it we find this servant acted in faith in god in the same god of the god of abraham and isaac <clears throat> and in genesis chapter 24 verse 12 when he arrives there at the well, has his camels kneel down, 
I don't think that was a posture of prayer for camels. It was just, all right, camels, it's time to rest. and Time to park yourself for a while. And they knelt down. But then he says this, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. I like that. He stops and he prays when he lands there at the journey's end. Now, no doubt he prayed before and probably every day as well. But it's interesting that it's when he gets there and he stops at that well and he prays to the Lord. And that's important because we understand that that was his aspect of showing faith. Um, He believed God was in this. He believed that God was going to do a great work. And my friends, we, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're one of his, you have to understand that he is purposing your life and he's directing you and do you recognize that? Do you stop at moments in life, maybe every day, I hope it's every day, and say, Lord, this day, would you bless my path? Would you bring someone across my path? Maybe a divine appointment. That's what I call it, I guess. Not original with me, but those divine appointments. Sometimes you don't even recognize it until afterwards, right? You've had those kind of little moments where like, wow, that person came into my life today just either for me to maybe share something with them and encourage them, or sometimes it's the other way around. God has his servants out there and they bless you and they pray over you and they sometimes just do a kind, well, as Jesus said, if you give a, a, a cold drink in his name, right, you've done it uh, unto, unto him, unto the Father. And I, I think that's really what we're called to do in a world that isn't very nice, is it? <laughs> a world that has a lot of hate, a lot of discontent, and would like to stir everybody up in that same path. And a Christian can shine today being a servant of the Lord and talking much about the master. Well, that's not the only time. In, in Genesis twenty four twenty seven, the servant says, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Remember, there was a requirement that... Abraham gave to the servant as he went out that he was to go and he was to go into the household of his, uh, his ancestry or his household in that way, a relative, and really pictured for us not so much that you're to marry your relatives, okay, that wasn't the point, is that uh, we were, but they were to marry into the household of faith and under the same theology in that way, I should say, because uh, that he was going back to the lands of Nahor, and in that land they were, well, they were engaged in paganism, worshiping idols, and all the the conduct that went with that. And Abraham wanted to make sure that the woman that was chosen, or that would be willing to come back and be married to Isaac, would be someone who would be of faith first and foremost. And God would throw in a lot more than just that. Just so you know when we we find out a little bit more about her. You know, I'm amazed because all this was taking place even as the servant was traveling and even as Abraham before that had said, this is what I would require and he was doing so under really the, um, the umbrella of God and what God wanted people to marry somebody who are people of faith if you're a believer and marrying an unbeliever that principle throughout scripture has always not worked it's an unequally yoked situation and at best it's shallow in a marriage and at worst it leads 
entire generations off to, uh, to hell is what it does because they turn their backs and it's so much easier to go down than to be pulled up, right? That principle of that. So he said, make sure she's a believer. And that's the principle throughout scripture. You see that. But God is a God that is at work in spite of our timing. And that's a good thing. There are times where I think, man, if I hadn't prayed that, uh, that wouldn't have happened. Well, that's not really the way we ought to think. Because remember, God is the one, according to the Bible, says he inhabits eternity. Time is not anything to God. He's outside of time. He inhabits eternity, literally. And he can bring something to pass even before you pray. He can have it all in motion. The book of Isaiah chapter 65 says this, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. God is such that he's like that. And I think of that because if you know him, and you know him on that personal basis, you know that he often will have something set in motion to answer and to do that. I remember a story coming out of Africa from years ago of a missionary, and this was in the days before they had really much of any modern medicine. And there was a little, um, a little girl that was born prematurely, a uh, little baby. And I, I thought of that as my first daughter was my, yeah, our first child as well, was born premature. Uh, but she was in a NICU in Bangor and had all the bells and whistles to keep that little girl going at age, you know, she was 34 weeks along in gestation. That's not terribly premature, but still underweight and all those things. But you know that sometimes for a little preemie, uh, it's a hanging in the balance. And this little girl was born in a clinic, in a missionary clinic in Africa. And they, uh, they knew that if she had no way to keep warm, they couldn't keep her temperature up. And they, they said, if this little girl, if we don't get some way to keep her warm and uh, to do that, um, she's probably going to not make it through the night. Well, a package had come that day. And in the t- very top of that package, someone had sent a hot water bottle <laughs> in that care package that came. And that had been shipped weeks, maybe months before to arrive at the very time that it was needed to keep that little girl alive. As the story goes, there was another child that was there and she began to dig through the box. And when the people around her said, what are you doing? She said, this little girl's going to need a dolly and there's probably one in here. And sure enough, there was a doll in there as well. God is a God who answers and he does it in his timing, and he's able to work all things together for his good, right? Romans 8.28. And I'll tell you what, that's the way God works. He's like that. The servant was not impulsive. He, he had to wait on the Lord. I think of that journey. It would have been a long journey, one step at a time, a lot of sitting on camels. You probably at the end of that journey have calluses where you knew it, never knew you could have calluses. And those camels, as they're going through, they're going through the, the hot, dry, arid wilderness uh, across that journey. And you can only imagine what it would have been like. In Genesis 24, 14, it says, Now let it be that the woman, the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, Drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. You know, we have here a a picture 
again, of the servant who, he asks God for a sign. Now, I would say be careful with that. Sometimes we ask for a sign that isn't according to his will. But in this case, it was according to his will, but it wasn't something that was required by Abraham. It's interesting. The servant goes a little further. He wants whoever this woman will be to come. And uh, if she not only offers him a drink, but also offers his camels a drink. Now, I have never had uh, the privilege of caring for camels, okay? Um, But there are people that do, all right? And they tell me that camels are, they can be critters that, well, they'll go, they'll go days and days. Actually, they can go an entire winter without drinking if they're in a cool climate. But they can go days without drinking. And when they drink, they drink a lot. Uh, I did a little research, and depending on what kind of camel and all that, they can drink anywhere in one, one sitting. They can drink anywhere between 32 gallons of water to 53 gallons of water each ouch right so when the servant says and lord i have a little requirement here not only is she going to offer me a drink but my camels this was a special woman who would do that uh i i added that up i think i put it in my bible here um the i was thinking about that that's approximately let's let's say 40 gallons for each camel all right that's 400 uh 400 gallons of water. There were 10 camels. 400 gallons of water, okay? Um, That's 8.33 pounds per gallon. That's equivalent to 3,332 pounds of water that would have had been hauled up out of a well and given to a bunch of thirsty camels. Not to mention the servant who probably drank his share too. Rebecca was a special woman. And God had prepared... This woman, and we see the servant, we see the bride, right? And by the way, I would just say this, that it's not always, uh, it's not necessarily strong people that God uses to give camels drink. Um, You know, I could think of a man like Samson in the Bible who could take take a gate off a city and just pick it up and put it on his shoulder and walk off. He was a strong man, right? He could kill a lion with his bare hands. He could push pillars and take the house down, right? That's how he ended his life. He was a strong man. Samson could have pulled that water up in no time if he wanted to. But God was going to take a woman and he was going to take someone who typically is of less muscular stature than men. And he was going to use a softer instrument to take really and bring refreshment to this servant and to his animals. By the way, God takes note of that. And I would say that surely speaks of many women that I know who are like that. In a day, they do far more work than strong men. But they do it a pound at a time. Eight pounds at a time. Whatever. They do that over and over again. And that's their life. And their life is noticed by others. God's like that. In verse 23, we find out the bride. The bride is, and this woman comes along. Rebecca is her name. Um, the Bible says that she's pretty. She's beautiful to look at. That, that's good, you know. I can see the servant as he's thinking, yes, this is a keeper, right? <laughs> as he sees her. But more than that, she had to be part of the right family. 
Remember? That was the requirement. Now, the requirement wasn't that she had to be pretty. Um, that was an extra bonus. But rather, it was that she had to come from that household of faith. And indeed, she identifies herself out of the household of Nahor. And that is indeed the household of faith. And so that was important. And that's what Genesis 24, 23 says. And the servant said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? And I think about that because that was the big question right there. Whose daughter are you? Because if she answered that she was outside of that, that would have been the end of it. Even in spite of having just let those camels drink and everything else, she would not have been the one. Because remember, her master, his master uh, required that. And he was on that mission for that. And it just, again, reminds me that um, God was going to use this woman. Now, I want to go back to that fact that as, they're, as she's feeding the camels, or not feeding, uh, giving them drink, uh, it would have been quite a task. And I think of that because, you know, uh, the Lord sees us in what we do and the faithfulness in what we do. Now, most of us would think that that is not really uh, something to aspire to, right? To aspire to be a camel uh, water bearer, I guess. I don't know. You could probably come up with some kind of fancy engineer, you know, uh, uh, camel hydro- hydrologist or something. I don't know. Uh, you know, you could come up with some term today. But I, I just say it this way, that... She took on that task, and he never asked her to do that. She offered to do that. And I like this quote I came across. It's attributed to someone named Marston. Uh, No other name with that. But it says this, Make every occasion a great occasion. For you can never tell when someone may be taking your measure for a larger place. Listen to that again. Make every occasion a great occasion. For you can never tell when someone may be taking your measure for a larger place. This humble woman who comes along and she offers, and not only offers, but does give the camels drink. That right there was that so-called fleece that was put out, right? And God was confirming not only was she from the right family, but she was the right woman. And the servant's taking note of that. He didn't tell her beforehand, hey, if you check these boxes, you'll be the one. And by the way, he was a, obviously his master was wealthy if he could afford 10 camels and all kinds of stuff packed on those camels. There was no doubt that this servant was someone who represented a master who had great wealth. And I think of that because some people are like, hey, I'll marry into wealth. Well, that isn't the way it works for happiness anyways. She didn't come there with that expectation. She just came there to get some water for her family. And she happened to give drink to someone else and his animals. And God was going to use that. And little did she know that when she would accept that invitation to become the bride for Isaac, that they would have children. And out of that tribe of people, right... That family, all the nations of the earth earth would be blessed. And out of that, the Messiah himself would come up and arise out as a lion out of the tribe of Judah, right? And he is the one uh, out of the house of David. David would come out of that family. All of those things would take place, showing the mercy and the grace of God in that process of that. 
Whose daughter are you? May I ask you that question? Whose son are you? Whose daughter are you? Because remember, the principle was this, that you had to be of the household of faith. Are you someone of the household of faith? Well, you say, well, how do I get to be part of that household? Well, I can tell you this, your first birth isn't enough. You won't be born into that. In John chapter 3, Jesus actually had that conversation with a man named Nicodemus, and he said that very thing. And he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter into his mother's womb for a second time and be born? Nicodemus was thinking about natural childbirth, right? It's not possible for a grown man to go back into his mother and be born. Jesus talked about a new birth. And it's a birth that comes literally from above. That's being born again. And it's a term that you are, have to, by faith, you turn from your sin and the, and the old nature of their first birth, a sinner born in Adam's race, and by faith to receive Jesus Christ by believing on him. And the Bible says he'll save you. And the term in John 3 is that you're born again. And you're literally now part of his family. You're part of the household of faith. But not everybody's part of that household. If you have not done that, you're still outside. You're still in Adam's family and that family of sin. And your sin is upon you. And if you want your sin removed and forgiven and to be cleansed, you have to be in Jesus' family. And by the way, he's paid the way for your sin to be removed and paid for in full at the cross. And that's what the Bible talks about. And from the books of Genesis all the way to the book of Re- or the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, you have that story of redemption that God sent forth His Son, and that He came to die in my place because the penalty of my sin was death, and someone took my place at the cross. And he took your place, and if you'll receive Him by faith, you could answer that question: Whose son am I? Who's daughter am I whose child am I you can say I'm Jesus's I'm God's I'm in God's family if you'll trust him and you'll do that well the Holy Spirit who is really pictured in the servant is the one who also illuminates our minds and our hearts so to speak to to understand who Christ is and he helps us to understand the word of God this book is spiritually discerned And you need the Holy Spirit to help you discern the Bible. That's why before I was a Christian, I remember in my teen years, I began to read the Bible a little bit here and there. And I would pick up things in it. I'd say, this doesn't really make much sense. But then later on, I had a guy that challenged me to read the Bible, actually. And uh, I I, I was really seeking some things at that time. God was convicting me in my life. I was 18 years old. And I started going out to a church service in Eagle Lake at Mountain View Bible Church. It was meeting down in Winterville, and I remember sitting there, and it was the very first time I'd ever heard the Word of God expounded, and it made sense. I wasn't a believer really yet. I was more of a skeptic, but it was making sense, and that was the Holy Spirit, and he, that's the ministry to someone who is not a believer. He was working in my heart. He was convicting me of my sin. He was showing me why I needed Jesus as my Savior. I went to went the next week and I heard another bit from the scripture and it made more sense and then I went to prayer meeting uh, the third week and I showed up in prayer meeting 
I was someone who came and thought, well, I really like the time in the Bible. I, I really like that. And I might as well go to prayer meeting. I didn't know what prayer meeting was. I mean, I had grown up praying you know, prayers, and I thought that's what it was going to be like. And I went there, and instead I heard people pray from their heart to God as if they knew him. And I said, I want to know him. And it was in that prayer meeting on May 8th, 1988, that I bowed my heart and my my head before the Lord and I said Lord I'm a sinner I know you came to save me come into my life and live it for me and he made me alive unto himself and I have not been able to get him out of my mind since because I went from one family to another and by the way my blood family also followed (laughs) after that I'm very thankful I have a brother and my parents and, and they all have professed Christ and I'm thankful for that But the family, it's a big question. Whose family do you belong to? As good as your earthly family is, it's not good enough. And it might be a bad family, it's not good enough, right? But your heavenly family is, and you can follow him. Well, we also find out that uh, there was great wealth, and I mentioned that already, great wealth involved in this. We find this servant asks if he's there's a place at the family home to come and stay and he gives gifts to rebecca and these are not bribes okay this wasn't a transaction of money in the sense of saying um, well this woman is worth so much right and i'm going to pay this amount like a dowry or whatever is is expected and we're going to just have it it was more to it than just that It was a demonstration that the master of this servant was able to care for this daughter of another man. And he was able to do so with great loving kindness and bestow upon her grace. And this woman, without even accepting yet the invitation to become a bride, she accepts these gifts and she goes back to the family. And we find out a little bit about it here. It says, so it came to pass when he, this is Laban, The uncle saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists. And when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. Now we find Laban and his heart, we get a little hint about his heart right at this point. He's not real concerned about Rebekah and where these great lavish gifts came from. He just knows that there's more somewhere else. And he's like, ta-ching, ha, I'm going to go find that guy. And I'm going to stand by him because maybe I'll get more. And that's sometimes the way people come to things. They look at Christianity. They look at Christ. They look at the church or whatever and say, what can I get out of it? When in reality, it's not about that. It's about him and us ascribing glory to the Lord in those things. And Laban later on, there are three chapters that deal with the relationship of Laban and he strings Isaac along for years and years and years before he's actually married to Rebekah. And he does so in deceit in other ways because it was a good deal for him. He had the wealth of Abraham and he had the son of Abraham working for him. And he liked it. And it wasn't about what God wanted. But yet God in his timing would still use that and continue to do so. Well, we see that. In verse 33, it says, Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you about my errand. And he said, Speak on. So the servant sits down. It's been a long journey. He hasn't 
had a home-cooked meal since he left, perhaps months before. I think if somebody set food before me right then, I would be like, man, I'm going to eat this and then get it over with, right? You'd be hangry for sure. And I'll tell you, the servant doesn't eat. He was on mission. He knew that it was more important than his daily food and, and a special meal set before him. And they tell me in the East, hospitality is, is amazing, you know. And the few times I have been with people from an Eastern culture where they've given us a meal or something, it's a lavish meal. And it would have been, with all the delicacies available to him at that time, would have been set before him. And yet he says, I won't eat until I tell you why I'm here. I'm glad. By the way, I'm glad that Jesus came as a servant. And Jesus didn't come to be first and foremost when he first came to be reigned or to be set as king, although he's king of kings, but to sit in a palace or a grand cathedral and have everything taken care of. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came as a servant. Mark's gospel presents him as the perfect servant who goes and he pays for the sin of the world. He was on mission. He did that. Jesus put it this way. He said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. See, the food that Jesus was to partake of was a food that really was the heavenly manna, but it would come at a great cost when he himself would go to a cross and he would die. And he would die a most horrendous death, the death of the suffering on the cross. His food was a hard pill to swallow in that way. But he would do so. As I mentioned, we have really the servant in Genesis 24 pictures for us the Holy Spirit who is also on mission. Who empowers us as his followers and as his people to go out and to bear witness of our master. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, one of the great commission verses. This is what the Bible tells us and what Jesus gave to his disciples. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit has promised to go with us and will use us if you're one of Christ's. I'm thankful for that. He also is one who is, testifies of his master. In John 15, 26, he's referred to as the helper. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. When that servant sat down at the table there with Rebecca and her family, he was testifying of his greatness, the greatness of his master. John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. As I said earlier, the primary task of the Holy Spirit is not to bring glory to himself, but to Christ. If you want to know something is truly of the Spirit of God, you'll have Jesus elevated out of it. Whatever it is, whether it's a Spirit-filled Christian, 
or a, a movement that people are getting supposedly saved or anything like that or divine miracles or anything, it, they always point back to Christ. And you know, this servant brought these gifts and he gave them to the family. They were gifts. Like I said earlier, they weren't a bribe. And it wasn't a transaction of a dowry that hadn't occurred. She hadn't accepted. It was nothing more than grace is what it was. It was someone who had wealth and a position as a master who was willing to give to someone who didn't. That's grace. By the way, that's what we need. Grace. I was an abject sinner in spiritual poverty. I could not redeem myself. I could never, and neither can you. You'll never pay for your sin. There's no way. You can't do it. And God, in His grace, reached out. And He sent forth His Son. And He gave us those things. And He gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment of what we were going to have in heaven. The book of Ephesians says that says, in him you also trusted, that's Christ, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Think of that. One of the great things at salvation that you get is the seal of God on your life. And I say this, no man can break that seal, no person, no thing, no nothing on the earth, above the earth, under the earth can break that. It's the seal of God. You'd have to be stronger than God to break his seal. And your own sin won't even break that seal if you're truly one of His. You're secure in Christ. And how do you know that? Because the Holy Spirit is given to you. And then he says this, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory? The guarantee of our inheritance. In the Old English, it's the earnest of our expectation. He's the down payment. When you go and you say, I want to I buy this uh, house, for example, all right, and you promise the banker you're going to buy the house, and the banker says, "Well, you know, we, we need a down payment that shows that you're good for it." Okay, here's the down payment. Well, guess what? In the sense, in the spiritual sense, it's so much greater than that. But it's the Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment of greater redemption to come someday in glory when we have the riches of the Father there and all the glories of heaven. And Christ himself shining forth the radiance of heaven. We'll have that. That's a promise. But for now, we have the expectation of that. We have the purchased redemption of that. And that's the Holy Spirit. He's given to us for that. And my friends, I would just say this. This nameless servant who bears witness of his master, he pictures for us one who is far greater who also bears witness of that same master, or of a different master, right? The heavenly master. And I would say this, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know the Father? Are you sealed by the Holy Spirit? Are you one of His? You can be. And I'd invite you to do that if you haven't, that's for sure. It would be the greatest decision you'd ever make in your life, is to turn from your sin and to trust Him in salvation. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word And Lord, although we've gone down through this today rather hastily in some ways, we are mindful of your great plan. And it is not by chance that someone is sitting here today or somewhere else in a church hearing the word of God, the gospel being proclaimed, or 
maybe online somewhere. And Lord, your timing is always perfect. And we thank you for that. Now we ask, Lord, that we would, uh, again, go out of here with obedient hearts, obedient to your word in every way. And we want to thank you for that. And we thank you for the hope of salvation and redemption. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen.